Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. everybody and welcome to the very first episode of the Tunari podcast. I'm joined here by my friend Timmy Long, who's going to be my co-host. Say hi Timmy. Hi Timmy. Good man. Um, <laughs> first of all, thanks very much to everybody who donated to the GoFundMe and um, everybody else who helped us out as well that don't want to be named. Um, and we hope you enjoy it. You know, there's been a demand for it. Um, a lot of hurt people looking for information and guidance and support um, around issues like addiction, mental health. So... Hopefully this podcast will be um, relevant for you and please enjoy it. So the first episode, I'm going to introduce Timmy. Um, he's going to give his story, we're going to have a conversation and then going forward, we're going to have some guests on, some psychologists, academics, people in recovery and other relevant people. So enjoy. So well, Tim, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. It's more fi- the nervous nose, first one really. Um... We're finally here. Yeah, we're here. Yeah, it took a lot of work to get to this place. Yeah, yeah. There was a few late nights. Yeah. But no. Yeah, you rode here till 2 a.m. Yeah. in the morning yeah. after the long day's work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, we're delighted and we're delighted to have the lads from Unity uh, Media Network as well helping us, you yes, know, yeah. really kind of improve the production. Um, Obviously, we're working full time, we're doing other things at the moment, so it's great to have the lads to yeah. help us out, you know, and, and really makes the podcast, you know, just a little bit more professional. And as we said earlier on, if nobody listened to it, we do it anyway because this is what we want to do. Exactly. And yeah. if people watch it and people find it helpful and entertaining and useful, then better again. Yeah. So we start from the start, Timmy. Where well, are you from? How how was life back in the day? Um, I grew up in uh, Hollyhill, Arcullen, James, uh, a few doors down from you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but before that, um, I would have lived in um. Spriggs Road. There was flats down there when we were kids. Yeah. So that's where we kind of originally um, started off mm. the family home. Uh, there was me, my mother, my father and my younger brother Thomas. And from there we moved to Arcullen mm. and um, we stayed there for most of my life. Yeah. But um, <sighs> What was Arcullen like? Even though I'm from Arcullen, for the for the yeah. for the people watching, Arcullen was um, when we were growing up. It was there was a lot of kids, you know. There was a lot of soccer. I loved football growing up as mm. a kid. I loved um, taking bikes apart and fixing them, and it was mm. just something that um, it just took me away from everything, my thinking and everything. You know, it was just a great. I like I enjoyed it as well. Yeah, you know, um, so. You know, so yeah. from, I'll, I'll go back to the beginning, um, early childhood, uh, I have two younger brothers, I'm the oldest, um, and there's Thomas and John Paul, um, we grew up, there was no father in the household growing up, you know, um, my mother and father uh, separated at a young age, and um, 
there was a lot of kind of there was mental health issues yeah. within the household. My mother was uh, she was sick. She yeah. wasn't, you know, um, and it was different. Yeah, you know, oh, it was a really, really, uh, it was a difficult child. And you know, childhood. being the oldest of three. Yeah. Uh, when there's no father in the house, did you take on that father role? Yeah, I took on the father role. Um, I I basically done what I could, you know, to. I had to grow up fast, if mm. that's the right word. Mm. You know, I had to grow up fast. Um, I had to, the innocent child, that you had to, was gone at yeah. a really young age. Um, and I basically built up some firm mechanisms, you know, just a demeanour, a really, really strong demeanour um, to get me through a lot of difficult um experiences as a young child what, you kind, what kind of a demeanour did you build up an angry demeanour you know very angry um, there was a lot of violence in my family home you know a lot of violence there was a lot of as I said there was a lot of mental health issues mm. um, and I've seen a lot in, mm. in, in the, the house yeah and um, it took its effect on me you know mm. it took its effect um, I remember, like, uh, being always caught up in my head. I would have been an introvert person, mm. you know, always kind of inside, always kind of the one looking out mm. at how everybody was and, and caught up in my own head as a young child, you know. Um, so you would have been, at a, at a young age, you would have been a deep thinker. Yes. And how was school at the time? Um, school was very, very difficult, you know, uh, there was an awful lot going on at home. And when I was in school, I wasn't able to focus um, on what the teacher was talking about or anything. And I spent most of my time at the back of the class mm. or outside the principal's office or whatever. You know, it was difficult. Um, yeah. And later on, those of the effects um, yeah. showed... You know, and how, what way were your grades? Were you able to achieve academically in school? No, no, there was none. There was no such thing as a grade. Uh, I could barely, I couldn't read or write, basically. Yeah. And was there any additional support offered? Or? No, there was nothing. There was nothing. All there was, no, I was kind of kept up in the assembly of the school or outside the principal's office or... The end of the back of the class was the yeah was where I spent most of my time, you know, yeah. and and that for a child, in my opinion, when I looking back in hindsight now, is probably one of the worst things you could do to a child's confidence and yeah. self esteem and things like that. It really kind of affected me, and it has taught me that I was no not good enough, mm. you know, um, and I went through my adult life always. Believing that I wasn't good enough, you know. Mm. So, um, yeah, so you know, when you were going through school, then yeah. did you complete your junior sort and leaving sort or how did that go? No, no, there was. I, when I hit the age of 10, I would have went in the hop from school a lot. Mm. Um, people from the area would know Hogan's Lane. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in Hogan's Lane, you know, and we would have went Hogan's Lane and Ashes Boring. Yes. We would have uh, we were at the pound shop selling out to the woman who owns the pound shop. <laughs> but we were robbing the old varnish out of her shop and mm. tipex and st- anything that we could get a bit of a stone off. Um, and so, we, so from a, just sorry to stop you, but from, so from a very young age you found you were looking for ways to get out of your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was a lot going on for me with my own head, James, and I yeah. didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. Know, and, uh, so you you used the coping skills that's available to you, and at that time it was tipex, mm. nail varnish, solvents and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Like I grew up in a, a home where there was a single parent, you know, my mother, and she was unstable. Um, and there's other kids in the school out the street, then and they see this like there was a lot of bullying. What I'm trying to say, you know, um, there was a lot of bullying as well, because. We didn't have anything, you know. Mm. Uh, there wasn't a lot of food there. There wasn't there wasn't much of anything, you yeah. know. Um, clothes, 
there was a lot of hand-me-downs, you know, and things like that. Yeah. It was like, we grew up in the 80s, James. The mm. 80s were tough times for, right. for a lot of families, you know. And if I can put some context there on Alcullen, Knocknaheeny, Holly Hill, and even wider yeah. uh, city northwest, there would have been housing estates built around 60s, 70s, yeah. when there would have been a lot of working-class families put up here, maybe employed in Lullums, Fords, mm-hmm. um, Dunlops, and when the industry broke down, a lot of people became unemployed, and maybe the the jobs didn't reoccur in the eighties. Obviously, mm. with the big recession, so with a lot of big housing estates, maybe limited services at the time, mm-hmm. unemployment that breeds social problems. Yeah. So that's the context that you're talking mm. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like I'm talking about my story and how bad it was for me, but in general, it was bad for everybody. It's just that we we had just a single parent and parent that was yeah. unstable and you know yeah no i just want to say one thing like my mother done everything she could in her own power that yeah. she thought was possible for us as as kids you know and it's just there were difficult times yeah you know for everyone and you know we made the best of it yeah you know yeah and i know your mother you know i grew yeah. up in that house yeah. your mother used to be good friends with my mother yeah and you know i seen her as a lovely lady very good to me, mm-hmm. uh, very good for our sons, but obviously had her own issues and yes. her own difficulties, you know. Yeah. And everybody, you know, there's a context to everything, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? And there's never anybody to blame. It's just about understanding your story, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of looking back and being able to identify what was going on at the time. It helps you then to understand your behaviour and how your outcomes became mm-hmm. negative, let's say. So yeah. when you finish school, we're talking about there, you created kind of an angry demeanor. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me more about that? Well, what I created was um, this angry look. It, what it really was was a, a form of protection to keep people away, keep keep people uh, at distance because, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was, as I said earlier, there was a lot of bullying and, and things like mm-hmm. that and... Um, it, they were, it was tough for me emotionally, you know. Um, I struggled as a teenager, you know. I, I did a lot of shit going on in my life that I didn't understand, you know. Um, there wasn't very much teaching to me growing up as a child. Um, you know, I had to learn everything really for myself um, in terms of how to behave and mm. um, how to... Everything. Yeah, you know? sure learned like, that aggression was how you dealt with... Yeah. Everything, yeah. The violence in my home, there was a lot of violence. You know? And then through the bullying, yeah. you learn that if you're on the attack, you're less likely to be attacked. Well, going back to the bullying, like I remember there was one particular guy that would have bullied me a lot when I was younger, you know, because of my appearance and and other factors. And there was just one day I kind of really had it. I had enough. You know, and I backed up to this bully, and I see an anger coming out in me that I I never never really experienced before, and this guy backed off, and from there on, um, I just kind of it, it helped me. You know, yeah. it, it showed me that by backing up for myself, I could keep people at bay and mm. keep them away from me because I was very very vulnerable yeah um you know emotionally uh, unstable and yeah. a lot of other things you know I was always looking for that something to take me away from yeah what was going on for me in my life yeah you know um and so you learned then that to be mean looking to be aggressive mm. you're you're not going to be bullied because yeah. you're you're quite a strong man you've yeah. been strong since you're a child really yeah you know, and you got into the weightlifting, you got much bigger, you got the tattoos, yeah. and that was all about that kind of aggressive demeanor, stay away from me, I mean, I'll yeah. hurt you, and it was really a coping mechanism. Yeah, it was just, it, it was just, unknown to myself, I was after building this up, it wasn't until I got into recovery, and I yeah. started to understand all these different things. It's uh, the beauty of recovery, we, exactly. get, we get high insight, yeah. and we get awareness, and we can look back with a, a level you know, of introspection, but mm-hmm. at the time, you're just in it, and you're mm-hmm. just behaving, that, and, and yeah. that's all about it, there's very little talk, and yeah. stuff, you know, yeah. you're just day to day, survival, 
make sure my brothers are safe, mm. my mum is alright, we're fed, there's nobody coming to harm mm. us, and that's it, mm-hmm. you know, but recovery, obviously, as I said, you become aware, you do some work on yourself, and then you look back, mm. and you begin to understand them, really, so do you know, when you were talking about using solvents, and mm-hmm. Tipex, and stuff like that, well, how did the drug using career escalate, or? Um, I'll just go back a small bit, um, you know, back into when I was in primary, when it was primary school, my mother would have, um, got involved with uh, a, a man, you know, and like things in the household began to get a little bit easier, you know, because um, she had someone in her life that she 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 loves, yeah. and uh, things really changed for the better, um, you know, and he stayed with us for he was he was there for a while. We'll get to that a little bit more yeah. uh, a little bit later in the conversation, you know. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to clarify that and just yeah. mention that because we were after jumping a little yeah. bit forward. Um, but um, the drug use really escalated. It went from solvents and probably drinking here and there at up to the age of 12. And mm. when I went to secondary school, then it was just I needed to fit in. Yeah. I needed a group to fit in with. Mm. And I fitted in with the exact same people as me. Broken homes. Mm. Um, violent. Um, is this is this a common, a common theme in the, not the area you're from? Well, James, let's put it this way: my role models growing up were neighbours around me that had been to prison. Because everybody looked up to the guy that was in prison because he had this form of respect. You yeah. have to remember, we came from a really, really um, poverised, yeah. drug-ridden area where it was, you know. Um, like in, in our area where we go up, there's no teachers living in our estate, there's no <laughs> doctors or nurses or vets or guardy or prison mm. officers, you know, that's not where we grew up, where mm. we grew up, the best people, the people who's doing well, who's doing trades mm. or selling drugs yeah. or crime or some sort yeah. of, a, you know, labour day work or manual work, you know, mm. so we've, we've limited role models really. Yeah. And... Those role models, I wanted to follow, follow in their footsteps as well. Um, I, I couldn't wait to the day I went to prison, you know, mm. and any of these things, you know. So, but my drug, uh, drug use escalated in in, in secondary school. Um, I rarely went to secondary school. Rarely went into class. We usually went in the hop, mm. um, down toward down um, in the orthopedic and yeah. everywhere really we could find somewhere. You know, we would have used then as well. Yeah, we would have uh, smoked hash and took tablets and stuff. And until I was both 13, 14, it really kind of escalated into kind of heavier drugs. So we were starting to use, yeah, um, ecstasy and fucking, yeah, other shit, you know, other yeah. things as well. And uh, that's when things really, really went. Um, and you're talking there about. Early to mid nineties when the ecstasy scene yeah. was yeah. through the roof. Yeah. Twenty pound an easy job. <laughs> Twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There were mad times, James, you know. Yeah. Um, around that time, like I was fifteen or fifteen or sixteen, I think. Um it was the the Sir Henry's years. Yeah. You know. Um I think it was back in ninety six, ninety seven. I could have been earlier again. The golden era of car yeah. clubbing. Yeah. It was myself and another friend that we used to break into Sir Henry's through the side door, get into we really were fucking <laughs> we were tiny, you know, but we were wild. Yeah. But uh, the ecstasy and um, other stuff crept in yeah. when I was fourteen, fifteen, and and I loved it. Yeah, I loved. I loved. What was it about the ecstasy that you liked? Do you know what, James? It just took me away from every fucking negative and bad experience that I had going on in my life at the time yeah. you know I was con- completely out of control you yeah. know and there was no control over me and my mother had no control over me her partner hadn't nobody I had no kind of good um, no, no one in my life at the time that I would have look up, looked up to yeah. and listened to you know yeah. because um, I was just completely rebelled and I had a really really negative attitude as well towards my mother and yeah. her partner 
and um, I would have stayed out all night. Yeah. Um, I remember Norman Ice took my first day in my teens. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have been in a very dark place yeah. mentally at the time. And I remember I took my first day and I was like, this is what I've been waiting <laughs> for. Yeah. The sense of love, the belonging in the group, yeah. you know, the warmth, all that that I was missing yeah. out of my life at the time. Mm-hmm. And I took ease, we used to take ease Tuesday mornings, midweek, mm. you know, yeah. down in St. Anne's yeah. in the field and just always craved that, you know, sense of belonging, sense of warmth, sense of love, yeah. you know, and then it's like being around pairs and we're all struggling, you know, and I don't know, there was something about an ecstasy that kind of brought people mm-hmm. together and kind of made things okay mm-hmm. as bad as they were. Um, I remember when I, I took my first uh, E... I took with two friends of mine, and um, I don't think I got um, any buzz off it that night. You know, I think I was probably thinking about it too much. But I went home anyway, and I fucking woke up about three o'clock in the morning, and there's my brother up on top of me, and he's shaking me. And he's saying, What? He's saying, Are you okay? Are you okay? What? Are you alright? And uh, I said, I'm grand, I'm grand, I'm grand. And uh, we got up out of the bed. Three o'clock in the morning and went out fucking long. That was the way it was, you know. Yeah. Nothing was ever given to us money yeah. or anything because there was nothing there. Um, I went out robbing and I'd say for about six months I would have fucking took ease for probably every night of the week and I just kept going, kept yeah. going. That's when things really got out of control. Yeah. And um, yeah. you know, and that's when my family really started to get worried about me then because I wasn't coming home. I missing for days um, yeah. you know there was a few overdoses from tablets you know I wake up in bushes yeah were you, getting, were you getting in trouble with the guards the guardie yeah. at this time yeah I had a few serious um, charges with the guards as well remember now I'm only 14 or 15 at this stage you know yeah and uh, what kind of offences would you be involved in back in the day robbing cars Um. There was one or two major serious assaults. Um, yeah. Houses, yeah. anything at all, anything where I knew I could get money to, to get drugs, yeah. um, I would have fucking basically. Yeah. You have to remember at that age, James, I had no awareness. I never had any awareness. I had yeah. no, I had no em- empathy or, um, or anything that for anybody. You know, yeah. I was just completely out of control. You know, nobody could. Tell me anything, mm. you know, because it just went over my head. Yeah, do you know earlier on you spoke, you said you mentioned about um people in the area that you looked up to, mm. role models, have been to prison, and you looked at prison as something that you nearly wanted to go to mm. to, to to experience it, whatever. So do you know when you're committing crimes and you're young and you're getting involved with the the guards and mm-hmm. that, were you ever afraid of going to prison or was it ever a deterrent for you? That's fair as always there. That fear was always there, you know, because um, you, you, I still wanted to go there because I wanted the same respect that all these other guys were getting because they had been to prison. Yeah. But I, the fear was there still, you know. It, yeah. I think, I think, like, one thing I've noticed about myself um, and a lot of people from the north side are of the city that were yeah. very good with, uh, to adapting to situations, you know, yeah. because... Um, it, it's just it's a tough tough area you know? yeah, where you have, and when you're coming from a tough mm. area like that you have to be adaptable you have to be resourceful you have to work at what you mm. have and we don't live in a vacuum like we live in a material world a consumer a society mm. and when you haven't got the legitimate means to buy nice stuff mm-hmm. you want the nice stuff still mm-hmm. you want the nice trainers the nice mm. hoodie you know, so yeah. you have to get it illegitimately mm. and it, it ends up in robbing and it ends up in all these sorts of activities mm. that wider society kind of looks down at oh he's a scumbag he's this and that and the other but we, we want the same things as he we just don't have the same opportunities to get them yes I agree you know yeah. um, some of the best people I've ever came across in my life are from the north side of the city yeah they give it a time of day they say hello yeah you know they understand you know and and that's and we we should say, ninety nine percent of the people in the north side of the city don't go to prison. No, it was just the people we looked yeah. up to did. Yeah, it James, Knocknaheeny, Churchfield, 
Um, all these areas around the north side have a reputation for being um, bad areas. You know, mm. that's not true. No. Mm. Some of the best people that I, as I said, some of the best people I know, and some of my best friends are from the north side. And, yeah. you know, they fucking give you a, their breath in the morning. It's just it's yeah. just a nice area, you know. You'll it always is. get in the law and, and yeah. you know, but... <laughs> We do produce some of the fucking city's maddest as well. Like we we do have the social problems, and there's no denying yeah. it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so going back to what you were talking about there was the ecstasy, the alcohol. You were just about to talk about when you were getting in trouble with the law. Yeah, uh, I would have got into some syrup. Like I'll just bring you back um, a little bit. Um, when I was about fifteen, my Drinking drug use was fucking out of control. I wasn't coming home at all. I would mm. try to run away to England a few times, and um, and there was something, something bad happened at home. You know, there was a my mother's partner of um, of eight or nine eight or nine years. Um, he passed away suddenly, and um, that kind of destroyed my mother for mm. a bit of time. You know, destroyed her. She had to. She had to go away for a while, mm. you know, at the hospital, and um, I was left to do whatever I wanted, you know. I was out of control. I didn't have to answer to anybody anymore because my grandmother moved into the house with us, and um, it, I, everything just escalated from there downhill then, you know, and alarm bells started going off then for from the guards as well as fucking out of control. Why are you going to wait? You know, you have all these different kind of agencies involved in your life, probation and mm. and um, uh, social workers and community officers and all these, mm. you know, and, and I was taking no notice of any of it, you know, all I wanted to do was keep doing what I was doing, you know. Yeah. I had no awareness of what I was doing or, or who I was hurting or any of this, you know. Um, yeah. But then uh, there was... I had a really, really kind of serious charge where I was after um, hurting somebody um, during an incident. And uh, I I was looking at some serious prison time for that. Yeah. And that's when authorities around me, I, there was a GLO officer. Juvenile liaison yeah. officer, yeah. His name is Ned Corby. It's a long time Ned. ago. <laughs> yeah. um, my mother would have been away at the time and... Uh, he, he he had kind of got onto my family and they said like we have to do something with this this little fella and uh, they put me into a home um, down in West Cork Clonakilty it was called Ahiol <laughs> mm. it's a long time ago yeah. Matt Halber <laughs> sure yeah is it it's Matt right. Halber yeah um, but like fuck it that play. I was I think I was 15 at the time when I went down there and um, what was the experience like being away from home Oh, uh, did you enjoy the break? Was it respite for you? It was like a breath of fresh air, James. Yeah, you know, it was a breath of fresh air. I was away from my normal environment where I had to be somebody else. I had to keep, um, you know, I had to be a certain person. You know, I had to keep that macho image of who I was for people. Because I, by this stage, at the age of fifteen, I was being recognised. I had a bit of a fucking, yeah, uh, uh, not as a hard man. You know, because yeah. tough. You know, um. Because I was very, very violent, yeah. you know, um, and um, when I got down there, all that was gone for me. I was able to l- relax a little bit, yeah. you know. I didn't have to be anybody, and you know, I was still a teenager. I was only fifteen, and yeah. uh, still a child, like. yeah, you know. Um, and I was there for a while. I was there for six, maybe seven months, and you know, and I don't think. There was any I got any inspiration or help from that place. Yeah. I was I was too young. I yeah. was really too young, you know. And then all of a sudden the place closed. You know, the place closed and uh it was Ned Kirby and Father Paul who were after coming up with the idea of um let's send him to France. You know? Yeah. There was another treatment centre in France. So by this stage I was sixteen and I was went to France and I stayed in France for probably just over two years. Well, tell me what the treatment centre in France was like. Well, um, the treatment centre in France was 
<laughs> like back what? here you run away yeah in the treatments that you fuck off and that's it but over in france like you run away they catch you they give you a few platters i was only fucking 16 at the time yeah uh and they kind of just show you who's boss they yeah. have your passport they have all your money so don't ask me why i even ran away i didn't even know where i was yeah no in the middle of the country but i tried that a few times and until they kind of tamed me <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, they tamed yeah. me down um there was all some forms of nationalities there. It's Spanish, Italian, Russian, American, um, from everywhere, you yeah. know. And what, what, what was like? What was it like over there? What, what would you be doing? Would you be walking? Would you be I car- worked on a farm. Yeah. I worked on a farm and I played soccer. And they loved me because I was handy at the soccer as a young, as a kid. And uh, they loved me. And the guy that was responsible of the, the, the centre over there was... Uh, a recovering addict as well yeah. and um he kind of took a liking to me because i was a tough tough kid you know yeah. and i worked on the farm i worked really hard for him as well and um you know i didn't get much shit from yeah. him you know so um i remember when you came back you were about four languages yeah <laughs> i actually could speak um uh, italian a bit of french and a bit of spanish um yeah. i just hear them to hear <laughs> I just fucking go go thing going around the pack of my head. Yeah. My mother and uh, there was a few of them in the family actually fucking thought I was gay like when I was in that. <laughs> and between the age of 16 and 18 you're in France you're working on a farm hard working yeah. you mature physically as well. Yeah. You come home a big old man. I was big and solid and when I came home I actually managed to stay clean and sober for about six months. Yeah. And um, then I stopped going to, I was going to AA at the time with another person and um, like I didn't know too much about AA at the time or I didn't know too much about anything James, you know, mm-hmm. um, because in France um, we just had these meetings every once in a while in the evenings, there was no therapy, yeah. the, the therapy they thought they were giving you was working on a farm, just keeping you busy but yeah. there was absolutely no kind of one-to-one therapy or anything like this. Excuse me. All right. So, um, so from there, when I came home and I went to a few meetings with this guy and after the meetings, he'd light up a, f- a joint outside the, the door and I, it, it kind of yeah. it, it destroyed the whole process for me in meetings, yeah. you know? You're either in recovery or you're not. Yeah, or yeah, and... It, Especially when I was kind of, it was just my first introduction to all this, you know, and yeah. I didn't really understand it too well. Uh, maybe if I had somebody else guiding me back yeah. then, yeah. Uh, things would have been different. It just shows the importance of a good mentor. It does, it does. It's vital. But I wasn't ready, obviously, yeah. back then. I needed to go through a lot more yeah. before uh, things changed for me, you know. Yeah. So after six months, mm-hmm. you relapse. I relapsed and I said to myself, like, alcohol was, was, um, alcohol for me was the worst. Yeah. Because I blacked out every time I drank. And what way was your behaviour? I was violent. I was very, very violent. So when you're violent on alcohol and you're blacking out, I'm guessing you're waking up full of anxiety and fear, what did I do? Most of the time, I would end up inside my cell, you know, mm. um, covering blood or court or whatever you know yeah. from fighting or from breaking into a car whatever it was you know and then um because of that i moved to drugs particularly drugs that would not allow me to black out yeah you know, and that's when cocaine was introduced into my life because obviously cocaine keeps you awake yeah <laughs> and alert yeah too alert sometimes yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but um, and like if alcohol made you black out and violent, mm-hmm. did cocaine make you not black out and violent, or well, did it keep you calmer? It just I could drink what I wanted because I love drink. Yeah. Um, but with the cocaine, it would bring me. It wouldn't make me as drunk as I want. What uh, would usually be? Oh, yeah. So, so the co- you use the cocaine so you could continue to drink without the negative consequences of blacking out and being violent. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I was about 19 when that all started, you know. Um, 
and that use just escalated you know yeah. at the time I was after really I was I was trying to do a trade as well at the time carpentry and joinery and uh, I was had a few quid coming in you know I was after getting myself a little bike um, but I wasn't able to feed my habits as well as I I wanted to you know um, so um, I would have started I would have got involved in drugs then yeah, you know, at that age, sure. you're at this stage, you're snorting more money than you're earning. Yeah. So you need to subsidise the use. Yeah. So you go into dealing. Yeah, I rem- before all that really starting no, around that time, I I was after having a, a bad accident on a motorcycle and um, and I got a, a complicated case from it and I just used all that drug money and drugs yeah. and um, by last stage you then. I was hooked, you know, I had yeah. to have it constantly, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that's and when... How were you without the drugs at the time? Uh, I just wasn't very nice to be around. I was constantly, I constantly had an attitude, uh, angry, um, you know. Uh, I was just caught up in my head. There was a lot of ego stuff going on for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still had that image that I had to protect, that macho image to keep, you know, to protect yeah. me you know and did the cocaine heighten that worse Coke, when the cocaine uh, came into my life um, when I look back you now um, at the damage it caused to me as a person morally it destroyed me I mm. became a really really angry greedy nasty person something that I really um, never imagined myself being you know mm. Um, and I'm still working on trying to get away from all those things today, you know. Um, and I went through that for about 10 years, from 19 on up until the last day I used. Um, yeah. You know, it was a lot of madness, which we'll probably get to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so obviously we're talking about the aggressive demeanour. The tattoos, mm-hmm. the cocaine heightens the ego. You're more aggressive. You're drinking. You're volatile, man. Mm-hmm. You're in your twenties. You're starting to bring in more money, you know, because mm-hmm. you're dealing. So, yeah. how, what way is the lifestyle when you're bringing in more money? Um, the lifestyle. You know, there was a lot of there was a lot of pros and cons to it. You know, there was money there. I could have done what I wanted. I could have gone on holidays. I could have done this. I could have done that. You know, but. The con to it then was I was using a whole lot more drugs mm. more often. You know, I was creating a lot more tension on myself through the Gardaí and yeah. uh which is the police, uh yeah. and through other people that were in lo- involved in the same lifestyle as me, you know, because there's a kind of there's you just have to it, it's it's a crazy environment that you're getting involved in today, you know. Yeah. It's 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 an environment that uh, could be good one minute and could be, yeah, very bad the next minute. You know, yeah. Um, but I lived that for about ten years. You know, I would have been involved in drugs for about ten years from yeah, from then on, and uh, I nearly, you know, uh, I nearly lost everything. You know, because um, in the midst of all this, you child. I did. My daughter was born when I was twenty three. Um. And, like, my wife, no, she would have been my girlfriend back then. Um, seen a lot of crazy shit, like, uh, a lot of mood swings, a lot of aggression, you know, um, a lot of crazy stuff, you know. Um, yeah. Um, what was it like bringing a daughter or a baby into this environment? You know, that, that's a good question, really, James. Um, because I've been asked that before. Um, but I lived the life of complete madness and I really had no awareness. I had no um, understanding of the bad I was doing to yeah. myself and others. Um, and I just kept doing what I was doing. Yeah. You know, having a child and uh, changing... Yeah. didn't work for me so it's not like fuck it this is mental what, what, what kind of lifestyle am I living 
and no one's going to bring a baby into it. There was none of that. It was like, you're just so entrenched in it. Mm-hmm. There's a baby, bring her along for the ride. This yeah. is this is just the way it is, and this is how I'm going to be. This is just life for Timmy. Mm-hmm. There was no, like, you know, I suppose you're young as well. You're only 23. Yeah. You know, and 20, like when I was 23, I was very immature at 23. Mm-hmm. You know, so just to have that level of, you know, maturity to think about, you know, consequences mm-hmm. of actions, you know, like, you know, when you're young, don't think of any consequences mm-hmm. you just live life day to day mm-hmm. you know so you've your child now right you're dealing and you're getting caught up in all sorts of criminality and mixing with serious people and what do you know if you're looking at any kind of any kind of crime involving drugs and stuff like that there's a lot of paranoia comes with that mm-hmm. and um did, did you experience any of that um, <laughs> did you ever have a fear of like I'm gonna get caught with this stuff? I'm gonna get double, oh, yeah. double figures. Yeah, yeah. You know? that was constantly there. You know, I didn't trust anyone. You know, and that that was something that uh, I always had in my life. I brought that from my childhood. The trust issues. You know, I I never trusted anybody. You know, um, and I would have done a lot of my own dirty work myself. You know, when I was in that uh, lifestyle, um, so. In terms of that, I never really, really yeah. got involved with anyone. I always so it would be more more freelance than organised yeah. criminal network. Yeah, yeah, you just yeah. kind of work for yourself. Yeah. The, the less yeah. people that know, the less people can help me. Type of thing. Yeah. That's the way I live my life. Yeah, you know, no, you know the shit talk that goes on when you're fucking stoned. Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, we all know that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, there was a lot of that too. Yeah, you know, but. Uh, I, I usually kind of kept my cards close to my chest. Yeah. Um, um, you know. And how how did it end? How did it all come to a head? Uh, I was getting worse. The violence. Uh, I, I really got worse. More and more violent, James, towards the end. Um, yeah. and, and I was stacking up charges from the law, you yeah. know. Um, what kind of charges? mostly assaults violent assault um, and robberies and a lot of shit like that you know um, sure stacking up circuit court charges yeah. while on bail yeah. and obviously you know you're going down do you know yeah. do you know when you get into that and I've experienced this myself do you know when you're in a position where you know you're going to prison mm-hmm. and then it's like fuck it you just go all in mm-hmm. and you start picking up charges <laughs> and charges yeah. Is it, did you have that experience think I'm going to prison anyway I'm just going to do as much damage as I can or I don't care about the consequences of my actions um, no I didn't do you know what the way it was for me James when I was stoned and drunk or whatever I really didn't think about anything um, yeah. like I had a family at this stage I yeah. had a wife I had a, a girlfriend and, and a child and you know when I got sober then after my benders or whatever uh I I I kind of tried to step into being a family man, <laughs> yeah, as best as I possibly could, yeah. you know, because I had no idea what I was doing. But you, like you didn't have anybody to show you really, like no, you no. you'd not you'd no benchmark. No, no, there wasn't. There was there was no kind of there was no influence of how to be a family person or yeah, you know, all, all my stuff would have been really looking at. Uh, neighbours in the area um, and just seeing how, how they would go out in the car as a family or mm. how their dads would take them to a football match or mm. and things like that. Do you know when you, if we could just go back to your childhood for two seconds, yeah. do you know when you witnessed that mm-hmm. as a child, did you ever, did, did you long for that? Constantly, constantly, you know, um, and when that man, my mother's partner came into my life, it was very hard for me to accept him as well, you know, because all I wanted was my own father mm. um, which which never happened really yeah. at the time um, so you know there was it did hurt me you know it did, it did. and I always longed just to have some you know a bit of stability you know, and yeah, a bit of yeah, love and like, a bit of security I look at my own uh, fellow inside and um, like he just he's so innocent he's nine and he's so innocent and so all, all that stuff is still there yeah. within him, you know, and it gives me great, great pleasure watching him yeah. um, have that little bit of innocence mm. still in him. 
that he's not in the, uh, kind of sitting in a corner kind of thinking you know there's none of that he's yeah. always with us he's chat he's bubbly he's laughing he's, he's joking he's how a child should be exactly but you lost your innocence very early you didn't have yeah. the luxury of you know playing mindless games and you know yeah. just worrying about what's next thing on telly or food or whatever yeah yeah so we're coming to the end of the using you're yeah. picking up serious circuit court charges yeah what 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 was the penny drop moment or what what brought it to a head? Right, I, I was it, it was Christmas back two thousand and eleven. Um, there was a barn order in the house. I wasn't left into the house by my my new wife. Um, I had a serious charge that I was looking at a lot of jail for. Mm. You know, um, I had a lot of fucking mad shit going on in my life as well on a personal level. You know, mm. um, I, I had no awareness. Um, no, I just say this before any further. Like James, I never, I could never see beyond the age of thirty. You know, mm. and like this is thirty, thirty-ish. Yeah. I could never see a life beyond that. I thought I was going to be dead. I mm. never could never see it. You know, but going back to that, yeah, it was Saint Stephen's Day, two thousand and eleven. Um, there was a barren order out in me. I couldn't see my kids over the Christmas. I was living with my father at the time, um, who came into my life uh, when I was in my 20s. Um, and I, I'm back out drinking and drugging. Um, mm. And I fucking went off Robin again. Um, because I needed more money. You mm. know, um, and I broke into a premises in town and robbed it and got arrested. During the, the arrest, there was a, an altercation with two guards and there was pepper spray and everything else and mm. it was just a big, chaotic kind of swinging match and uh, I managed to get away and <laughs> i never forget it. Like, um, I... Got away from the two guards because they were actually after being destroyed in pepper spray as well. And uh, I had one shoe on, I had no top on, and my pants was falling down. And I was running up Oliver Plunkett Street and I was arrested and brought in. And I was I was in a bad way. Mm. You know? um, but there was just this one thought going on in my head. Just this one thought. I had planked drugs on me before beforehand before I got arrested and uh, I was just kept thinking oh, there, there was a doctor in me and there was a solicitor which checking to see if we were alright I yeah. guess you know I was bruised and you know and uh, battered basically you know, you know on my own accord you know, yeah. you know I, I, I I got basically what yeah. what I gave yeah you know? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was inside in the cell um. And I was naked, James, and uh, and pepper spray was after going into my pores because I was sweating through the altercation, um, and I just couldn't wait for the the whole lot of them to get out of the cell so I could get the drugs that was on me, you know, because yeah. I had them planked on me, you know. And when they left the cell, I got up off the floor. I couldn't find the drugs. And I started crawling along the floor in the cell, you know, um, and there was these, do you know the way there's droplets of white paint fall off a brush? Yeah. So I'm crawling around the floor trying to pick up pieces of paint that I'm thinking that are drugs, you know. And uh, it was like, I got this flash of light, you know, just this awareness I never had before in my life. Um, and it just came before me and, and she said, like, what are you doing here? Stevens is there, it's Christmas, like, you haven't seen your kids, mm. you know, you're back inside in the cell, you're looking at serious jail again for this one, never mind the one you're waiting on, you know, mm. you know, and I just got up off the floor, um, and I laid in the bed, and I just fucking suffered for the night, mm. until the next day, oh, they interviewed me, and that was the last time I drank, the last time I drugged, I had a serious gambling addiction as well, you know. Um, what year are we talking? 2011. You know, last, the last time I... I'd done... I robbed 
stole is the last time I've done anything, you know, mm. um, bad in my life. And from that day on, I, I um, tried to get well. Unbeknown to me, you know, yeah. I, there was just this urge to change my life, you know. Um, so slowly, um, things started getting better in my life when when I I actually got over um police station after two days and um or a day whatever it is and uh i was out bail for another charge i was expecting to go back straight into uh, be remanded you know yeah. but for some reason i got out and um i got in contact with my partner at the time and uh, explained the situation and um she said you need help like you need to get yourself sorted and i said no no you know um and I made an appointment for uh, a Hurren house down in Blackpool and yeah. they, um, I seen them for a while and then I got into the treatment centre, well, well-renowned treatment centre in Cork and Tabor Lodge. Yeah. And they made an appointment for them and I went down, I got a referral and they told me I had to do some pre, pre-care, pre-treatment. Yeah. So I went there for four weeks and I was clean and sober now for four weeks so I was clean for the whole of January and I went in there early, I think at the end of January, early um, February. And because I was going in there, the guards kind of just said, right, he's in there, he's not fucking doing nothing to no one, I'll just leave mm. him in there, you know. Um, and I stayed there for the month and I, you know, I really don't know if I took too much in James because yeah. my understanding of going to a treatment centre was I'm going in here now I'm going to be fixed so I can go home go with my partner and have a drink in the weekend and go home and be normal like everyone yeah. else yeah you know and <laughs> you think you, you can go back and use successfully the next no, time no fuck it I didn't understand that you yeah. know that's, that was the understanding like I was like a child I was yeah. literally like a young young child I had the mentality of a child yeah I didn't know what emotions were. I didn't know what a feeling was. I had no clue. These were all things that were stuffed down me when I was a really young child, you know, because of, yeah. of my childhood and things like it. Everything was just yeah. locked down here. So, when you know, when your first few weeks sober and you're in treatment, mm-hmm. did you get uh, overwhelmed with thoughts and emotions that you'd suppress for so long? Um, How was I, the fire? I really didn't understand them. You know, I was just happy to have my boy, my my partner back in my life at the time, to be left back into the home. Mm. You know, um, God, these were just things that I was happy for at the time. Yeah. You know, um, no, some good things happened in the treatment centre. I met some fantastic people. Some people that are still in my life today, and it's been a massive, massive help for me. And yeah. I would have been lost without them. Basically, they yeah. were that good to me. Um, and when I got out of the treatment centre, I had two weeks with my family and two weeks with my wife. And by this time, my little boy was born as well. He was uh, about seven or eight months at the time. And I remember going to prison on the 12th of March, 2014. You know, and I was clean and sober. Yeah. What was the sentence at the time? I got seven years um, with... Uh, Two years suspended. It was a violent crime, um, violent robbery. Yeah, you know, I to this day I still can't remember the night. I was yeah. after coming back from a party, and I was after swallowing a box a box of tablets. Uh, up to seventeens, I made a half bottle of whiskey, uh, vodka. Yeah, and um, I just remember waking up inside in the cell the next morning, in a white overalls. You know, not un- not even knowing why I was in there. You know, I thought I was after having a big argument with my yeah. brother or something like that and something bad happened. But yeah. So, like, for people that don't know, if you wake up in a police station with white overalls on, that means the forensics is taking your clothes. Yeah. And that's not, never a good sign. No, no, never. You know, that's... Uh, especially when you don't know why you're even fucking yeah. there. Yeah. You know? Um, and if you're not in hospital, it's usually somebody else that's yeah. after getting hurt. Yeah, yeah. So you went to prison for seven years with two suspended. Mm-hmm. What was prison life like? What, like you went in there sober? Did you maintain sobriety within prison? And if so, how? What supports did you use? 
Uh, I'll start off by the, the day we went court. The first day, the day we went court, the day we went to prison, and I actually fucking tried to get drugs. Yeah. You know, because I was overwhelmed with emotions that I didn't understand and didn't know what they were, and I just needed something to get me. It was yeah. fear, there was anxiety, you know, yeah. and thankfully nobody answered their phone. Mm. You know, and we went in. We got sentenced. We went to the prison. We went in. We went to Cork prison first, and uh, from there, then I was there two days, and I was shipped off up to the Midlands and in Port Leash, and I spent the the majority of my sentence up there, yeah. where I interacted with uh, education services, and where I basically learned how to read and write properly. You know, I done my junior sort up there, the RD equivalent, the FITAC level three. Yeah. You know, um, I got a lot of help from a psychiatrist, psychologist, um, yeah. who became a friend, um, and she helped me a lot. Um, she helped me um, just to get out that bit of anger because I was just really, really angry at the time, and she helped me to get out all that anger, and she listened, and you know, and we were about nine months into my sentence, and. Uh, I got, give us a knock at my door in the morning about nine o'clock, you know, and going through all the different emotions and stuff of dealing with my childhood and all these things at this stage and, uh, yeah. you know, um, in walks the priest and the chief and uh, the class officer and they tell me my mother was just after, um, she was dead, you know, she was after taking her whole life um, and... You know, I, I broke down. Mm. It, it, I was going through a tough time as it was. It yeah. was early recovery. It was only about nine, ten months clear, and then this happens. You yeah. know, um, I wasn't really speaking to my mother at the time because I was I was in in some therapy, and it was advised to me that I kind of cut contact with the outside world. Yeah, to deal with all the stuff that I needed to deal with, and um. I know, I know at the time, um, your brother would have been in prison with Jim Portlaoise at the time. Mm-hmm. Did you, it was, I suppose it was good to have both of you there to comfort each other. Mm-hmm. Well, there's three of us there, myself and two other boys, and uh, the three of us were in prison at the time. There was two of us in Portlaoise, and uh, Midlands in Portlaoise, and there was one in Cork. And my mother was, she was at home on her own, you know. Um, so, um, yeah, it was a... It was a really, really tough time. Yeah, can only imagine. I, I literally, I broke down. You know, the big hair man was kind of left to the side here, and I just cried and cried and cried. And did you get out for the funeral? No, they wouldn't leave us out. They kept me and my brother Thomas above in um, Port Leash, and they left the the other brother out. Yeah, you know, during the, you know, it was it. Do you know what? At the time, you could feel like you were hard done by and this and that. But the reality of it is, you know, it was probably for the best that we weren't left yeah. out, you know, because I wasn't stable at the time mentally. Yeah. You know, I wasn't really, really well. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not saying I would have went back and used or anything like that, but... um, just would have been a lot to deal with. Yeah. We were brought down to see her in the funeral home for an yeah. hour. Um, the two of us were brought down one night by... Prisoner officers, you know. And sure, at least you got to say goodbye and yeah, try to make peace. To, yeah, you know. Um, you know. So, how was how was the rest of the sentence? Like that was a few months into a longer sentence. Yeah. Um, when I went in, AA would have been a part of my life before I went into prison, and I thought it would be a part of my life when I got in as well. You know, but yeah. up. There, there, there was a bit of a struggle to get the people from AA into the prison because there wasn't enough staff or whatever it may be. I'm not familiar. I'm not too sure what the problem was. And um, through myself and another one or two prisoners and the psychologist that I spoke about earlier, we managed to get a meeting with the IPS, which is the prison service, yeah. and the head of the chief up in the prison. And we they, they came up with... Uh, a way of getting the, the facilitators for AA into the prison to, on a regular basis, twice a week, 
which was fantastic, you know, and I just kept growing and growing and I met a wonderful man up there who began my sponsor and helped me out a lot and yeah. you know, it was it was it, it was um Yeah. It was would a you, tough time, James. Would you say prison helped you? Um it did. Of course, you know, I I got an education in prison. You know, I could, could barely write. I never filled out an application form in my life, you know. Yeah. I didn't know the alphabet. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was thirty six years of age and and I, I learned the alphabet, the ABCs in, in, in the middle of prison. I, I learned the, the months of the year, you yeah. know, all these it's things. Like the stuff people can take for granted is that every child learns about certain yeah. certain stuff, but not every child does. I remember a few years back there I went to Rome with somebody close to me. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about we we had never been to Rome and we were talking about um, what's Rome going to be like and I was talking about the renaissance and the art and the culture and all this and they actually didn't know what I was talking about they'd never heard of a renaissance and Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci stuff that I learned in school mm. you know, but stuff that you'll be thinking everybody knows this stuff mm. and like you're talking about you're an adult in his 30s and you're learning the alphabet you're learning how to read mm. and write you were diagnosed with dyslexia mm. you didn't even know you had it you come through primary school and secondary mm. school you know these are all you know, it's very hard to believe, you know, that every every child doesn't get an equal start in life or an equal education. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's just important for people to understand that. There are children out there and, you know, they they don't have the same starts as everybody else. No, no. And you know what, James, because of the life I've had, I can spot those things. Yeah. And, you know, my heart really goes out, you yeah. know, and to those kids. Because I know that they may be in for a life like mine. Yeah. You know, where there was a lot of pain and suffering and... Yeah. Because you, you know, can empathise with them. I can, of course, yeah. So, you done your uh, junior sort equivalent, mm-hmm. learned basics of literacy in prison. Mm-hmm. When you got out of prison then, was it education you pursued? Yes. Um, when I got out of prison, I went on to do my trade at the age of 36 and... And I got my trade done within two to three years because the the, the solace at the time. Yeah, yeah. Solace at the time, the, the, I had a meeting room with Truth Cockerlines, Truth Sheila. She got me onto uh, a lovely man um, in the ETV. His name is Brendan. He's retired. Shout out to the ETV. <laughs> <laughs> but they helped me and they pushed my my phases forward um, and I managed to get my apprenticeship I, I, I just want to mention this I did start an apprenticeship at the age of 15 yeah right I had no junior cert done I went to FOSS and we done foundation maths woodwork and and, and English you know just to get the trade yeah. um, but um, you, what you needed at the time you needed to have a junior cert for a trade yeah, and when I went went out there, then to, I finished my phase six in Carlow, and that was a massive thing, like yeah, for me. You know, I, at this stage, I just finished a FETAC level five in Saint John's College. I was out uh, about eight or nine months at the time. Yeah, and then I went down and done another FETAC level six in Saint John's. Yeah. Um, no, before you go on there, Tim. Okay. The stuff you've done in recovery. Mm-hmm. Has been immense, right? Yeah. And I think that there's an episode in that mm-hmm. alone. So mm. thanks a million for <laughs> everything you've spoken about. I hope people have got something from it. Yeah. And we'll be back next week with recovery. Okay. And and the power of recovery and how you transformed your life okay. and how you transform other people's lives and how you continue to give back okay. and support your family and other people in addiction. So thanks a million to Timmy. Um thanks a million for watching. This is episode one of the Two Norries podcast. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks to the lads from Unity Media Network for helping us out. Um, Fantastic. Um, And we'll see you all next week. um, And we'll hear about the power of recovery and the support that Timmy access to turn his life around. So thanks a million and i see you next week. Thank you.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.